think so often when we think about self-control or sin and temptation, you kind of envision the Christian life as you're kind of white knuckling it. You're sitting there just resisting temptation, right? And then if you can do that, that's holiness. We are, we're thirsty creatures, man. We crave yeah. meaning and purpose and transcendence. And if you don't get that in that vertical relationship with God, if you don't obey Jesus' command to come to me when you're thirsty, then what happens is you get you kind of reach out in other ways and find destructive and often sinful behaviors to fill that void. Welcome to the podcast called Your Future Self Will Thank You with Drew Dick and Jeremy Slager. With secrets to self-control from the Bible and brain science, this podcast will help you make change that lasts. Your Future Self Will Thank You podcast, self-control and habit building, from a distinctly Christian perspective. All right, welcome to episode number seven of the Your Future Self Will Thank You podcast. My name is Jeremy Slager, and I'm here with my co-host. Drew Dick, back again. Back again. And this time, we are doing a little bit of self-control jujitsu, and we are going to take the momentum of something that is dangerous, and we are going to turn it around, and we are going to learn from it and hopefully we're going to be able to get some good help in our own self-control journey, learning from addicts. Yes. Now, I like the way you put that, by the way. Self-control <laughs> jujitsu. Um, yeah, no, it, it is. It's a little uh, grim, obviously, this topic, mm-hmm. addiction and addicts. Uh, and I want to be sensitive about it. But there is a lot, I think, that we can learn from addicts and from recovery programs that mm-hmm. help addicts. So I'm excited about this. There's some great stuff to talk about. There definitely is. And in our last episode, we had talked about setting boundaries for for tech in our lives and learning how to kind of those bright lines, being able to set boundaries to keep us in control. And so this episode, what we're really exploring is what happens when we can no longer set boundaries for ourselves. So when an addiction forms and when self-control is no longer there. So maybe, maybe to start, can you just help us understand from a from a deeper research perspective what is an addiction as it relates to self-control yes well of course every addiction's different um but one kind of common theme and actually it's in one of the definitions of an addiction is um a complete loss of self-control right uh we we acknowledge this sometimes you know when, when someone's engaging in incredibly destructive behavior uh usually it's a chemical dependency and it's not that we give them a pass but we acknowledge that there's more than just uh volition at play here it's not that they're just choosing every time to do this bad thing they have an addiction their self-control has been taken out of the equation essentially and they just almost have to do something um, and so it's it's a dire thing. And, and just from a research perspective, it was intriguing to me as I tackled this topic because we're trying to think of ways to shore up our self-control and, and identify areas in which we lack it. So it was natural for me to look at addicts because these are people for whom self-control has been obliterated, right? Yeah. And But the, the incredible thing, um, the hopeful thing, is that there are addicts that turn their lives around. Yeah. That, that find hope and healing and restoration. And so my question was, okay, how can we learn from them and from the programs that help them to make progress in, in our life? Yeah, which programs did you find were particularly effective? And maybe without naming any names, are there any programs that you're like, yeah, that doesn't work? 
<laughs> well, I, I can definitely speak to the ones that I, I saw that were really effective. And, and the first one will be no surprise to anyone because I think most people are very familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Yep. The AA, the, the wild thing about this program, though, it, it was founded by a guy with no training in psychology. He was like a stockbroker, uh, yeah. like in the 1930s, I believe. Um, anyway, uh, and yet it is still in wide use today, the most effective recovery program in history. And I think the reason for that is it has a few um, features that really help people regain their self-control and break addiction. The first one is, and this is so counterintuitive, uh, especially for the way we think today. But the first thing that they do is admit their complete helplessness against their addiction, that we were helpless to do anything about this, right? So you have to come to a yeah. place of complete resignation and, and and confession about your problem. You can't be dodging it and going, nah, I'm going to turn this around. I got this under control. You know, I, I just have to do X, Y, and Z, and I can get a handle on this. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is dependence on a higher power. And as Christians, yeah. you know, that's no surprise, man, that's, we know that, and of course they keep it generic, right? Higher power, but they're talking about God. And we know that that's powerful because you need that divine empowerment and you need to get outside yourself and realize that, that yeah. you need help. And then the third thing, and this is huge. And we'll talk more about this. I think throughout this podcast episode is that you need community, right? And that's the magic of AA is that you never say I'm an ex-alcoholic, right? Yeah. You, you every week or month or whatever, you're going into that meeting and you're saying, hi, I'm Bob. I'm an alcoholic. You're confessing that over and over again. So you're acknowledging your weakness, your vulnerability to the sin. And then you're getting that group of fellow strugglers around you that are going to keep you accountable, that are going to encourage you and inspire you. And that's just an essential part of any good recovery program. Um, one other one I'll mention too. It's a smaller one, and I just know about it because I'm friends with a guy who runs it here in uh, Portland, Oregon. <clears throat> His name is Bill Russell. He works at the Union Gospel Mission, and the program's name is Life Change. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. So they get people like fresh off the streets that are just, you know, have, have brutal drug addictions. And what they do essentially, he, he kind of broke down the entire program for me, but they go into this really regimented, highly scheduled lifestyle immediately. So they get them up, they, they, they live and, and sleep and work and eat on the premises of the, yeah. uh, of the union gospel mission. They have them up early in the morning. They're doing devotions. They're having counseling. They're doing work. You know, I mean, it's just a rigorous, intense program. And the way he, he put it to me, he said, it's kind of like, okay, if you, if you broke your leg, you don't jump out there and start running to strengthen it, right? You need yeah. a cast, first of all, yeah. right? And yeah, so yeah. for these people whose lives are completely shattered and broken, they need that rigidity, that strict schedule to help them build in those new habits, right? So they can kind of find, taste success, uh, you know, of living a fruitful, healthy life and get away from those old habits. Um, and then at some point, though, they gradually kind of give them more and more freedom from the program as they get stronger. Uh, and he said that, you know, one thing though, it's easy to mistake system control. That is when you're submitting to this system, right? That's kind of, yeah. you know, you're outsourcing your self-control because you don't have to, to do much. You just kind of follow the program. They confuse system self-control for or system control for self-control. So at some point you have to kind of wean them off the system help them develop that self-control so they can be reintegrated into society again. And that's always a really tricky process. But man, for people who have an addictive behavior 
And that can be anyone, you know, whether it's a small one, you may want to think of that kind of the cast approach where initially you're not even messing with that thing. You are, you have yourself on a completely different program. So whatever it is, I don't know if you're addicted to shopping, maybe it's like you don't go near them all. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I just started to see how a lot of these principles from these recovery programs can actually translate into our life. Yeah. And the the third thing that you had mentioned, community being such a vital part of recovery for an addict. It reminds me, um, I forget where I where I read the research article, but it was talking about how in the, the Vietnam War, um, it was 1971, and there was an epidemic of heroin addiction. And I in the article, it was talking about how the president and the the stateside government was really worried because they had so many addicts that were going to be coming home from the Vietnam War that they didn't think they had the resources to help them. So they were like rushing to get drug rehab programs up and running. And the veterans started coming home and they were they were self-reporting that they were addicts of heroin. And then they went to test a few months later how these addicts were doing as they were reintegrating into society. And the, re- the results were shocking. It said that 7%, just 7% of those soldiers coming back were still addicted to heroin. Wow. That's something from that journey, from the battlefield in Vietnam to their home life in the States, 93% of them were able to shake that addiction. Hmm. And it didn't give many, many ideas on why that happened. But I'm curious, with your understanding of, of self-control and addictions, what do you think happened that made it so, I'm sure it wasn't easy to transition, but right. made it so effective to be able to just drop what's really one of the most addictive substances in the world? Right. That No, that's remarkable. And it's fascinating. My guess would be, you know, we, we've talked about the, the habit loop, how there's a cue, uh, a routine and a reward. I'm guessing that habit loop having, you know, come back from the battlefield back home was dramatically disrupted. Right. So the cue, yeah. which could have been the stress of war, it could have been, you know, hanging out with a certain uh, group of soldiers. Uh, yeah. Of course, there's also ease of access. I'm sure that changes. So those cues disappear. And then the behavior changes, right? Um, and it's it's so true about this topic. We tend to think uh, that we kind of go through life making decisions um, and, you know, being tempted, giving in or not. But so often it's in our environment that ends up shaping our behavior. And yeah. so um, something like this just shows the dramatic impact of environment, right? Mm-hmm. Where Where if you change your environment, often your behavior changes as well. And so I, I don't know what the takeaway is for us here, but it's, it's certainly to be aware of that. And if you have an addictive behavior, even if it's something like gossiping or, or like I said, shopping too much, eating poorly, whatever it is, mm-hmm. think of the circumstances in which you fall prey to that behavior, the people that you hang around that make you fall prey to that behavior, and then do whatever you can to avoid those situations or change them up. Often that's the key to seeing a breakthrough. Yeah, and it's, it seems like there's an element here where the the substances are almost uh they're medicating a deeper felt need right and that the the community of going home of family of friends is able to fill that need 
And so yes. maybe part of our, our issues with self-control sometimes is that we are we're being so run ragged by a consumer culture. We're being pushed in so many directions and separated from each other that those basic human needs aren't being met. Yeah, no, it's so true. And again, the role of community is, is huge. Uh, slowing down reminds me of another study. Actually, um, people have looked at the high rates of PTSD. This is a little more grim about the Vietnam War. Yeah. Uh, you know, highest rates of PTSD in history. Um, and of course, it gets a little tough because in the past we weren't as aware of some of these psychological conditions. But mm-hmm. uh, there were relatively fewer um, with World War II, even though mm-hmm. you know by comparison it was a far more uh, brutal war, uh, all told. And what some people have surmised is that the soldiers uh, from Vietnam came back on planes. The soldiers from World War II came back on boats. And the difference between a plane and a boat, of course, is the time length, right? In a plane, you're back in a few hours. On a boat, it takes like a month or two uh, to cross the ocean. And it gave, the the, the theory is, it gave these soldiers time to um, talk to other people that have been through similar hard things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, decompress and and debrief. Um, and by the time they came back, they'd had that kind of experience of of being with fellow soldiers and talking things through for a long period of time. Whereas the Vietnam vets got just kind of plunked back into society. And then yeah. you're trying to talk to someone who has no idea what you went through, right? Um, and so that's another interesting sort of thing that just shows the power of community. And when you are dealing with something, especially if there's kind of a deep psychological woundedness to a certain behavior uh, mm-hmm. or issue you're dealing with, man, community becomes absolutely essential. Yeah, you you had mentioned earlier about the the habit loops and how we, we form these loops of cue habit reward and that we need to like those vietnam vets coming back they had to they changed that habit loop right um and it reminds me of a of a quote by a guy named thomas chalmers where he was preaching a sermon and the the quote was about the expulsive power of a new affection yes and and if i'm remembering correctly the the basic theory that he was talking about was that the heart is made for worship, for loving something. And so you can't just stop loving whatever it is that you're addicted to in the world, whether whatever that is. You, it, the human heart almost never just quits something. It replaces it. Yes. And so instead of just focusing on pushing sin out of our lives, that if we will have a new affection of loving God or loving the good things that God has given to us, that that kind of takes place in our heart and it pushes other things out. Yes, man. I love that phrase, the expulsive power of a new affection that nails it. Because I think so often when we think about self-control or sin and temptation, you kind of envision the Christian life as you're kind of white knuckling it. You're sitting there just resisting temptation. Right. And then if you can do that, that's holiness. Right. But no, what it's it's sometimes it's that right. You do have to resist sin, obviously, but it's where you're being fed. It's where your soul's being fed. Right. We we are we're thirsty creatures, man. We crave meaning and purpose and transcendence. And if you don't get that in that vertical relationship with God, if you don't obey Jesus's command to come to me when you're thirsty, then what happens is you get you kind of reach out in other ways and find destructive and often sinful behaviors to fill that void. Mm-hmm. But if you are filling up with the things of God, I think it does have a way of kind of pushing sin out of your life. 
it becomes a lot easier. I think it makes sense of a lot of the biblical language too. Like it says, do not be drunk with wine. It's mm -hmm. not just a sort of standalone arbitrary command like, oh, hey, we don't want you to have fun. Don't be drunk with wine. There's a spiritual corollary, right? Do not yeah. be drunk with wine. What are the next words? But be filled with, filled the, spirit, with the spirit, right? There's a better transcendence to be had. Um, and so, no, I love that. That that's that's crucial to this topic, and I'm glad you went there because it's not just a matter of you know. It's great to have strategies to avoid sin, to resist it, to shore up your willpower, to pay attention to your habits. You need all that. But man, if your soul isn't being filled with the things of God then that's going to leave you vulnerable to sin. You do need to pay attention to what you're filling your soul up with. Yeah, and, and I think the last thing that I wanted to touch on, particularly with what you were talking about with Alcoholics Anonymous, is that first thing that they say of that they are helpless as addicts. And it, there's just like a ruthless honesty in yeah. that, like a ruthless self-assessment where it's like, this is who I actually am. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sometimes maybe we we fall into these addictions and we fall into these traps and we lose our self-control because we have a dishonest, deceived version of ourselves that we want to believe. Right. Yeah, it's not flattering to think of yourself in those terms, that you're helpless in, against an addiction. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and so, but that's that's the first step toward recovery. And, and incidentally, and I think sometimes when you talk about addiction, people think, oh, heroin addiction, alcoholics. We're all addicted to something, right? Yeah. Even if you don't have one of those things that's going to, like, make you homeless or send you to prison. Um, we all have little addictions in our lives that we have to take a hard look in the mirror and go, you know what? I am kind of powerless against this. This has been in my life now for years or even decades, my anger, my lust, my whatever it is, right? Yeah. And go, you know, this is a problem and I need to address it. Because if you kind of minimize it and think you're just going to turn the corner at any moment or it's going to go away magically, you're fooling yourself. One of the biggest, um, uh, you know, things that helped me with this topic is realizing that sin doesn't start big and scary. It st starts small and innocent, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and But it doesn't stay that way. And so that's why I love the, the quote from the, the Puritan John Owen who says, be killing sin or it will be killing you, right? Yeah. So you have to have that vigilance. And I'm not talking about you know being legalistic or too crazy, but it's just the wiser way to go to deal with sins and addictions and bad habits while they're small in your life before they get too big for you to handle. And so in this episode about addictions, just curious, what kind of advice would you give somebody? Let's say, let's start with the person that can kind of, that feels like they're on that slope where mm -hmm. they are increasingly giving in to the bad impulses in them. They want no. to change. They know they're headed towards destruction, but maybe they think just one more time, maybe, Maybe I can go a little bit further in this. What what kind of advice would you give to that person? Yeah, I, I not to be you know too grim about it, but I'd say don't take it too lightly. You know, be serious about the sin. Uh, look at it and, and be honest with yourself. Like I said, sin starts small, and you can always look you know to someone else and go, well, I don't have as big a problem as them, right? There are so yeah. many ways to rationalize yeah. and deceive yourself, uh, but the way I describe it is like sin is almost like a you know, uh, a cub, a lion cub. It's kind of cute. It's fluffy. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to play with it, pet it a little bit. Uh, but you keep feeding that thing, man. One day you wake up 
and you got a full-fledged lion that could kill you, uh, yeah. right? Um, and so, yeah, have that sort of vigilance for sure. And then once once you've been honest about it and realize, you know, I got a problem in this area, then don't battle it alone. Find mm. that group of fellow strugglers. And I think we talked about this on an earlier episode, but you don't want the super saint. You don't want someone mm. who's never dealt with the sin that you're dealing with because then they can't relate. You don't want the person who's living in defeat because they're just going to drag you down, right? If you're an yep. alcoholic, you don't seek out guys that are hitting the bar every weekend. Yep. You want that kind of person who has the same vice, but has a seriousness about addressing it. Find a group like that and meet with them regularly. Be honest, seek their encouragement, advice, and accountability. That is absolutely huge. Again, you can't battle things alone. You really do need community and, and brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, in my experience, um, just counseling people to to find find that person that they can be entirely open with, and to make sure that when they're meeting together, they get to that place of I don't know. It's like that openness of spirit where it's like you you feel that release when you say, "I've told you everything." Yeah, I've told yeah. I I am honest with myself and with another person. And even though I've failed, I still can receive grace and mercy from from God. Yeah, absolutely. No, and that's when you're going to turn the corner because these things, they grow in the darkness, you know. But when you expose them to the sunlight uh, of confession, of community, of God's word, um, then you actually have a chance at defeating them. So, yeah, that, that would be my encouragement. Don't battle it alone for sure. Uh, and then pay attention to your habits, you know, think about the cues uh, and, and try to change those things up and you will have success in changing your behavior. Well, that's all we have for episode number seven of the podcast, but we have one more episode coming up and it's going to be our last one. And we are going to talk about our future selves and what awesome. we hope to be and how, how we hope to get there. Looking forward to it. You have been listening to the Future Self Podcast. If you enjoyed what you just heard, subscribe and leave a review wherever you find your podcasts. Your Future Self Podcast, self-control and habit building from a distinctly Christian perspective. We'll see you next time.